Who feels welcome in church today? Hope you feel welcome. We've even even got a welcome team. Isn't that great that people would commit to making sure that someone else's first experience is a happy, friendly face saying welcome? You know, Scripture says that, and the Living Bible puts it this way, warmly welcome one another to the house of God, even as God in Christ has welcomed you. Warmly welcome one another. Isn't that beautiful? So why don't we give it out? I'm giving a shout out to all the welcomers amongst us today. And uh, I think that there's a volunteer hub set out out there. So if you want to become one of them, you should consider it. If you're friendly, if you love people, there you go. There's all the qualifications you need. And, uh, And just go and see how you can consider, maybe even just consider next year serving Jesus in some capacity that might be different to what you once did. Maybe you need to reactivate yourself. But man, I'm looking for 2022 to be a fantastic year of progress. 2023. I was looking for 2022 to be that too, but some of my hopes got dashed, not all of them. And I think we're ending the year really strong and I just can't wait to carry this momentum into next year. Um, Christmas time. Christmas time. Uh, can we be honest, as an evangelical Christian background, you know, this desire to preach the gospel, evangelical, Pentecostal, I don't know what I am really, but that, something like that, that sort of fits. You know, I believe we should preach the gospel and I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit for today. I think that makes me evangelical, Pentecostal. Um, I must admit, I've got like a true confession. You guys like true confessions of senior pastors, don't you? Like, they're always juicy. I've sort of got a, I've got a, a confession to make that for so many years of my Christian life, and I don't think I'm alone in this, it's so easy for us to like look beyond Christmas or to look at Christmas like, yeah, look, Christmas is great and it's wonderful to celebrate, um, but really it, it was baby Jesus, he seems a little bit, Definitely meek and mild, a bit harmless, uh, easy to celebrate, but the real deal's Easter. The real deal's Easter. It's all cross-centred and all needs to be cross-centred. That Jesus, it's, it's not just about fluffy fairy tales about a baby, but actually he grew up to be a man who willingly laid down his life on behalf of the whole world, absorbed the wrath of humanity, took our sin upon himself at the cross. And I fully believe it, and I know that that is the gospel story. But I think we make a mistake when we race through Christmas because we can actually miss the massive message that Christmas is. God with us is what was prophesied. You will call his name Emmanuel, or he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. That the massive message of Christmas really is that God is not distant. Before we ever get to the cross and restoration of relationship of all those those other things, the massive signal that God is sending is that I am not as far away as you sometimes imagine. I am not as separated from you as what you sometimes feel. I am not as distant. I am not unfeeling. I am not somehow on another realm somewhere else. 
but I'm happy to dwell with my creation. That's the, East, that's the Christmas message. Before we ever get to Easter, the incarnation is so central to our Christianity that God would be happy to become man, but not just man. He would even take the form of a servant and serve others. That God is so near, so dear, so willing to identify with us in our pain, that he would serve us, that he would salve our wounds, that he would wash our feet. So I'm repenting of years of just wanting to get to Easter. <laughs> and I mean having the full meal and determined to. And uh, I guess for me it's been a growing revelation. And the other thing is resurrection. We often talk about the cross, but the empty tomb is a big part of that story. So we have God coming near to us, God absorbing our pain and then triumphing over death. The whole gospel story is amazing. I want to read a classic Christmas passage from Luke for us today. And it's Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. I want to give us some thoughts around this today. God is not who you thought. Well, God is not who we thought. Because I think we have all kinds of imaginations of God. And, uh, and maybe, you know, for some of us who've walked with God for some time, uh, some of those have been cleared up and more tightly defined, but I think our whole world doesn't really know who God is or doesn't see him the way they think he is. Like they, they're thinking something different to what he really is. God is not who you thought. They brought forth their firstborn son and laid this vulnerable little baby in an animal's feed trough in Bethlehem. And of course, they're in the feed, they're in the stable because, or in the, in the field or wherever they were. They were there because there was no room for them in the local inn. And she gives birth, potentially out in the open. In, and they put the child in this feed trough. And it's amazing. I was just actually, just before um, I got up to speak, I was looking at some images. I was thinking of flicking them through to media for us, but... I was looking at some images of nativity scenes. Isn't it amazing how we sterilise things for our imagination? How we clean things up. And I was looking at these neat little, and I can remember, I, I mean, I love trees. You know what Christmas trees remind me of? They remind me of a nativity scene sitting under it in my family home that I grew up in. And all the presents, of course. Um, but it's funny how we sort of, we make it clinical. We sanitise 
the real story. And so you have neat little baby Jesus in a neat little thing with neat little straw and we've even got wise men there who weren't even there when you read the story. They came a bit later. Jesus was in a house and he was a child, not a baby. But we roll it all in together and we somehow sanitise it all in our minds and we get a very, very different picture from reality. An animal's feed trough. Dennis Waldridge would know what an animal's feed trough looks like. By the time a few cows have dribbled into it and a few donkeys and a few sheep and the rats have got in there and the cockroaches and everything else. The reality is often very, very different to what our imagination tells us or what pop culture might present as an image. They had their firstborn child and laid him in a manger. A, a mangy, probably, manger. And I'm sure they cleaned it up. I'm sure they laid a, laid a coat down. I'm sure they did what they could. But it didn't change what it was. And of course, we also have, you know, these little stable scenes. I even made a, a, a Freudian slip before. Went to call it a stable and nearly got out my mouth, I think. We don't know that. We don't know that. People were a lot poorer back then. They might not have had shelter for the animals. It could have been in the corner of, of the paddock behind the inn. We really, really don't know. It would have been intensely humble, whatever it was, <laughs> to think that a king would be born there, that a king would be laid there. And it makes me think that actually there's just a whole message in that, in that, that God would humble himself and come and really be in, at best, a smelly milking shed or possibly just the corner of an open field where the feed trough would be placed. There was no room in the inn. But they did, get the, they did get the manger, they did get the feed trough, which I guess the inference is they got permission. There was no room for them in the inn. I don't know how that conversation went. Look, we've got, we're full up, folks. We're full up, but, um, you know, there's an animal shelter out back at best. Or there's a space in the corner of the field. Make do with what... Imagine saying that today to a pregnant, probably 16 or 17-year-old about to give birth. Imagine that. <laughs> it's okay, you can use the staff car park. <laughs> it just wouldn't cut it, would it? And yet that was the reality of the situation. What's amazing to me is... It was enough. Think about it. If there's an innkeeper in the story, assuming there is, he didn't give them much, did he? But it was enough. <laughs> didn't give them much. Have you, that seems to be a common thread in Scripture, doesn't it? Yeah. David didn't have much, but he had a few smooth stones. <laughs> A little boy didn't have much later on after this story. A little boy didn't have much, just a few little fish and a couple of loaves of bread. God can do so much with the little that we're prepared to give him. <laughs> and we talk a lot about space nowadays. I mean, he, all he gave them was a little bit of space. And we do, we talk about it. It's sort of written in the language now, isn't it? I work in this space. 
It could be an educator or a corporate person or someone, a researcher. I, I work in this space, not many people. Or a business. We're really trying to break into that space. We know what space is. And this guy gave them the smallest amount of space. But it was enough. The only thing God required of the innkeeper was that he open up. <laughs> Nothing's changed. Has it? Nothing's changed. You might be sitting there thinking, I don't have much. I don't have much space. don't have much room in my life. You've only got to offer what you've got. Offer the little you've got. It's always been enough for God. It's always been enough for God. So here's some thoughts and observations. Number one, God didn't mind where he dwelt. <laughs> God didn't mind where he dwelt. God didn't seem to mind where he took up Res, you know, residence. And the incarnation, of course, is totally an understanding of that. And by incarnation, what I mean when I've been saying incarnation is when God takes form. That's what that literally means. And he took human form in the form of Jesus Christ and says, coming in likeness as a man and took the form of a servant, willing to step out of whatever heaven's glory looks like, into humanity to become part of creation and not only that, to serve. And not only that, it'd be okay if I got born and shoved in an animal's feed trough yeah. when I got born because the manger itself is the message. The manger itself is the message. God's willingness to humble himself and be with us in any circumstance. It's almost like, do you think that God might have known this might happen? <laughs> in, the, in the providence of God, do you think that God was shocked there was no room in the inn? So maybe God was very intentionally sending a signal right from the start that I will relate on the lowliest level, there will be no one I cannot relate to. As a matter of fact, my heavenly choir, the band for my birth, will be a group of shepherds that actually have really very low social status. They weren't allowed to, to, to speak in court. If they sold milk or meat, you never bought that off a shepherd because it was assumed they'd stolen it. They're the people Jesus has for his choir. They're the ones who come along and, and adore him. And the angels burst into song and off they go. Don't you love it? God, there is a message right there in the manger. God's willingness to connect with us on the deepest level. And yet sometimes we exclude ourselves from the love of God. Sometimes we just can't see how God would love me. Who's ever made a mistake and thought that God left the room? You know he doesn't. Sometimes we bend our receptors. Sometimes we sear our conscience with a hot iron, Paul told Timothy. Sometimes we do things that stop us sensing his presence in intimacy the way that we might have one day had it, but God doesn't move. He was happy to be in a manger. He's happy to be with you even now in your mess. And my life looks a little bit rat-eaten, a little bit rat-infested, cockroach-soiled, whatever. It was okay for God at the beginning. It'll be okay for him at the end. 
because the message is in the manger. That humble beginning. The message is in the incarnation, that he is willing to walk among us as one of us. He's not distant. So some of us might have had that whole thought of the God of the big stick before you got to know Jesus. I know I did. People telling me about Jesus. I had Christian friends trying to tell me about Jesus. It terrified me. So I just thought, I mean, I know what I've done. And I'd see, I had to perceive God as the God of the big stick. So I did not want to meet him. <laughs> that could only go one way and it would be badly for me. How different I found Jesus. It was so funny, you know, when we, we completed the building here in 2017, I remember inviting the builders who'd worked on it for months and, and some of us, you know, had worked alongside them for months and months and months and they were a pretty motley crew as building crews tend to be. Hey, Scotty? Not your crew, but other crews, you know. And so, but I remember inviting them, getting around them, you know, as we were coming to the conclusion of the building, as many as I could, inviting them to come. The common response was a joke around the building, the, the roof falling in. Which was a double joke, because I, I, I set the trap for them. As soon as they went there, I said, you built it, didn't you? <laughs> you don't even trust your own roof. But of course, their thought was, you know, if I walk in a church, it'll collapse. Couldn't be further from the truth. If God's willing to be born into a manger, he's willing to be born into the messiest heart. <laughs> How beautiful is that? That's the gospel. The baby in the manger is the message itself. That God would be happy for his son to be placed in such lowly surrounds reassures us of a couple of things. God's quite comfortable with humble surrounds. And God is willing to embrace the most inhospitable, unprepared, unworthy of places. Who's ever had a heart like that? <laughs> Only me. Two others. Levi, don't say amen so loud. It could be a family thing. <laughs> Come on, who's ever thought, you know, I'm just, I'm unprepared. I'm prepared. I'm unprepared for this. I'm not ready for this. Uh, it's not appropriate. I'm, I'm unworthy. This isn't the right spot to stick God. But the message is in the manger. The manger is the message. If you haven't got it yet today, that is the message today. It's not going to get any more complex. Is that okay? That is the message. No matter how messy we are, God's comfortable with it. I'm going to finish with the last thought, which is the clean makes the unclean holy. The story goes on that when the shepherds came and they saw and they began to praise God and then angels joined in. And all of a sudden that feed trough in the corner of the paddock or under the little shed in the backyard, whatever it was, there's no doubt that became holy space. I mean, it was holy because Jesus was there and then everything holy started happening. Even though just underneath everything was a mess. So like our lives... Am I the only one really amused by this? I mean, I, I just got a kick out of reading this story again and digging through it again. Just so like our lives. That dirty space become holy ground. And you know what? It was the hallmark of Jesus' ministry. 
the hallmark of his ministry was to reach out and touch what was unclean and make it clean. The exact opposite to how the whole religious system of his day was thinking, which was the opposite. Don't let the unclean touch the holy or it will all be a mess. And Jesus came and threw it on his head. And of course, I want to use one passage to remind us of this, Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came, knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. You know, that is the experience here of so many. Lord, if you're willing, if you'd have me, as unprepared as I am, as messy as I am, I don't have much to offer, just a little bit of space. (laughs) That's all I've got. But it was enough. I think of myself as a young man, 21 years of age, just messed up and crazy, had nothing to offer, nothing. But just believe what I heard. The gospel message, you need to surrender your heart to to Jesus, Chris. That's what you need to do. God will sort your life out. It's like, well, I was sick of trying. It wasn't working for me. (laughs) I had no idea what or how God does what he does. But I I do know that sometime in 1986 in a little church in the centre of the city here, I walked up the front and I prayed a prayer. Genuinely, I genuinely wanted God in my life. Never dreamed it would end up here 37 years later. But that little bit of space, that little bit of really, really messy space. Come on, there's a few of us here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That little bit of messy space was all he needed. And it became holy ground. And the praises of God were heard there. It's a beautiful thing. The incarnation. God with us. In spite of us. In spite of our best attempts to shut Him out. In spite of our best attempts to destroy His image in our very own lives. God with us. And your mess is not going to scare Him away, friend. That's not a bad way to end the year with a gospel message like that. And maybe this year got a bit untidy for you. I don't know. I, I know we all turn up here smiling, looking happy and great. And I've also pastored people long enough to know that that's not always the case. That there can be a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of frustration, a lot of fear, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. A lot of all kinds of things going on. Can I tell you, friend, no matter how messy your space is, it's enough for Jesus.